Welcome to the Swift Podcast. My name is Mary Shu, and I am talking to you from the Swift headquarters at the University of Kansas. I'm sitting here with Rory Harms, who is our sound guy and uh, technical support extraordinaire, and Allison Satter, who is one of the leaders in the field of inclusive education and school-wide transformation. These Swift podcasts give you, the listener, the opportunity to hear the inside story of inclusive schools and join in the conversation of All Means All, hearing from leaders in the field of inclusive education and school-wide transformation. Here we are recording a live podcast on the topic of Allison's most recent blog titled Teaching a Teacher. Allison. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Hi, Mary. Uh, I guess I'll start by saying that I currently work at the Swift Center. I work on the product development team, so I help develop products and resources to support inclusive school reform. But I, before that, my background was as a teacher. I worked as a special education teacher for eight years in a suburban school district. And uh, sort of what led me to special education, I was getting my degree in elementary education and thought I was going to be a general education teacher and did a short practicum experience that was supposed to be four weeks in a special education classroom. And I fell in love with it and found my new passion. And it took me on a whole new path. And so right out of getting my uh, bachelor's degree in general elementary education, I decided I wanted to teach special education. I went back to school to get my certification as a special education teacher. And so so my first job straight out of college was teaching in a self-contained special education classroom. And uh, needless to say, I did not know what I was doing, and I learned on okay, the job. Let me stop you there for okay. a second, Allison. You mentioned teaching in a self-contained special education classroom. What is that? Can you describe exactly what a self-contained special education classroom is? Okay, so it meant that the students that I worked with were in my classroom for more than 80% of their school day. So they spent most of their day with me. My classroom was their primary classroom. They... uh, sometimes would spend some time in the general education classroom for... So these are students with disabilities? Students with disabilities, Uh yes. So students with disabilities that spent most of their day in my classroom really saw me as their primary teacher. My classroom is their primary classroom. That wasn't uh, satisfying your passion as an educator? Well, honestly, I didn't really know any different at that point. So when I started, I thought, you know, that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to be... um, really working with students that had significant support needs. I wanted to be helping to support those students. And at the time, I thought that's the only way it could be done. And so when I got that job right out of college, I was excited about it. I was excited to be working in that setting. But I think I learned pretty early on that there has got to be a better way. Like I remember walking into my classroom. This was actually my second year of teaching. And uh, they moved me to a different school building. And they actually moved all of the students in my classroom to a different school building as well. They took the entire self-contained classroom and moved it to a different building. And when I walked in that first day to the new building, it was a very skinny classroom, very small, all brick, no windows. And I remember thinking, I just don't think this is going to work very well. I mean, it was tiny. And I worked, I I was a cross-categorical self-contained teacher, so I worked with students with uh, lots of different disabilities and different needs. Uh, But a lot of the students that I had had a lot of uh, behavioral challenges, and I remember thinking... I'm sorry to interrupt, uh but I'm trying to... I'm getting a visual visual, picture of your classroom, and I hope all you listeners are, too. Um, But I'm curious, how many students were in the class? So I had 10 students. 10 students. Were there any... uh, 
assistants? Yes, I had two paraprofessionals that were working with me. So there were 10 students and three adults in a teeny tiny classroom with no windows and all brick walls. And uh, I do, I remember thinking like, this just doesn't seem like the best place to put students that um, had a lot of sensory needs and some behavioral challenges to really cram us all in here together without even being able to see the light of day. And luckily I had a principal that was uh, very responsive to what my needs were and helped get me into more of a regular classroom and helped really work with me to help meet those needs. But I think it was early on that I started thinking, is there a different way to do this? And I think throughout the course of my teaching career, I started to see a better way. Wow. And it's led me to where I am today. And um, so, again, today you're one of the leaders of the SWIFT team, and you're helping develop products and supports for schools around the country who are working to transform their schools into places where um, all means all. Now, that's a sort of a special tagline for the SWIFT Center, all means all. What does that mean to you? I think primarily all means all really represents to me that all students, no matter what their needs are or what their disability is, all students deserve and have the right to access the same experience and the same opportunities as everyone else. And I think personally, I think all means all represents what I knew then as that first year teacher, that there had to be a better way. And for me, all means all is that better way. And I think throughout my career, I've gotten to see a better way than it was when I first started teaching. Even though when I first started, I thought that was the best way. I thought that I was really the one that needed to be able to provide those special supports and that I could do that more appropriately in a separate setting where I was able to give them a lot of one-on-one attention. And since then, I've I've learned that that's not the best way and all means all really represents for me a better way of doing it. Thank you. So you're a popular blogger with the SWIFT Center, and uh, so if you haven't checked out our blog post, go to swiftschools.org and click on SWIFT Talk, um, and you can can read a lot of different perspectives in this field on the topic of inclusive education. And Allison recently contributed a blog post called Teaching the Teacher, I believe that was the Mm -hmm. title. Yeah, that was a beautiful post. Um, And in it, you described four lessons that you learned in your early days as an educator. I thought this podcast would be a good opportunity to go through some of those lessons. I don't know what the best way to do that is. Um, I've read that blog a number of times, and I hope all of you do too. But I wanted to just pull out some of the, um, the... sort of key aspects of some of those four lessons and and get your thoughts on sort of what inspired you at the time. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Sure. Okay. It works. All right. So um, I guess what what I pulled out from lesson number one, where you wrote about the importance of family partnerships, there was one one, uh, statement that you wrote that I'd really like to talk more about, and that's where you said that Parker kept you on your toes where you said, Parker kept me on my toes and my teacher tricks ran out pretty quickly that year. He just always seemed to be one step ahead of me. It didn't take long for me to realize I needed help to know how to best keep Parker engaged and on task. I swallowed my pride and reached out to Parker's mom for help. So, Allison, tell us a little bit more about Parker and that conversation that you had with his mother. Okay. 
So Parker's a student that I had starting in the third grade, and Parker spent most of his time with me in the self-contained classroom. He spent all of his academic core instruction was spent in the self-contained classroom. Parker had a lot of sensory needs and behavioral needs. Parker had autism and just needed a lot of support with his behaviors, which is why he spent most of the time with me. Uh, Parker was also very bright, though, and very capable of doing um, grade-level work in the grade-level curriculum um, with minor accommodations. And so it was pretty early on where I felt like uh, I needed support in knowing how best to support Parker's behaviors, but that Parker was very capable of accessing the general education curriculum, and it was really on me to help him to do that. So. Uh, I learned early on, though, that I was going to need some help because I, uh, even as a special education teacher, I was really struggling to best meet his behavioral needs. Yeah, you said you ran out of your teacher training yes. pretty early. <laughs> I'm one of those teachers where I thought, like, um, be, you know, dealing with students with challenging behaviors is always something that kind of came pretty naturally to me. It's not something that scared me, per se, that I was... Um, pretty calm and patient and with most students I was uh, had a few tricks up my sleeves that would usually work and with Parker they weren't working and so I felt like I was running out of things pretty quickly and I was really struggling to keep Parker engaged in the curriculum he was often off task often um, you know I had a hard time keeping him in the group working on his assignments he was always kind of wanting to do his own thing and was very bright, but he had certain interests, and that's all that he wanted to do. That's all he wanted to talk about. That's all he wanted to write about. That's all he wanted to do. And I really struggled to get him involved in anything else and really engaged on what we were working on in the classroom. So you're an amazing special educator, <laughs> but nothing worked. So yeah, nothing was working. Nothing was working. So um, you came up with the idea to call his mom. Now, did you just thought, I can't figure it out, so I'm going to call his mom? Or what led you to... Yeah, and I didn't go there right away because yeah. to tell you the honest truth, I was scared to do that. His mom um, had a reputation for really being a fierce advocate for Parker and his needs. And although that's wonderful, as a brand new teacher, it sort of scared me. Like I was scared that maybe she'll think I'm doing the right wrong thing or maybe she'll think that I'm not doing enough. And here I am thinking about calling and admitting to her more or less that I don't know what I'm right, doing. Right. And so I was scared to take that step, but I also felt like um, I wasn't getting him engaged in the way that I needed to, and I was wanting to get all the support that I could. And I was thinking, who knows him better than his parents? And so I really, um, even though I was nervous about doing it, I but I've got to reach out to them and see if they can provide me with any support on what's the best way to really reach Parker and get him interested and engaged in uh, school. So, so <laughs> tell us what happened. <laughs> so that first conversation, I was so scared to reach out to her, but it was honestly a turning point for me because she was so open and welcome, welcoming to me. And... I think that like something that I mentioned in the blog that I think is really important that when I called her, I didn't do what I think she had gotten a lot of in the past of this is what Parker's doing wrong. This is like Parker's causing problems in the classroom, like Parker's a problem. And I, I didn't approach her about it in that way. I approached her more like 
I'm not being able to engage him and I want to be able to and do you have any ideas or suggestions on how I could be doing that better? You know, what are things that work for you at home? Can we try those So what did school? she suggest? So, I mean, we talked about, like, the things that Parker was really interested in, and she talked about how she uses reinforcement at home and some of the, like, strategies that she uses with him. And so, really, it was just kind of getting to know Parker better through her eyes and... Uh, I think that that was a huge turning point for us. But it wasn't just that she was kind of offering me strategies of things that he's interested in, things that work for her, and little tips and tricks here and there. But it was also just um, lending her support of what can I do? You know, would it help for me to come up to the school? Like, she was really, you know, Parker's mom and Parker's dad were both uh, willing to do whatever it took to help support me, too. And so I think more than anything, his mom and I were able to start bonding on the shared joys and the shared challenges that we both, I was feeling not so alone in it, like that she was saying, oh yeah, that happens with me all the time. So it wasn't, I wasn't feeling like, gosh, what am I doing wrong all the time? That in, instead we were able to kind of uh, come together and sort of understand where these are things that worked and maybe these are things that were, didn't work so well. And she, it, I learned it, from her. It, it also sounds like this was an opportunity for you to deepen your relationship with Parker, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. And uh, for Parker's sort of team of people who really deeply care about him to expand. So that, I mean, that is a great lesson, number one, the importance of family partnerships right. and that that offered that uh, learning opportunity for you, Allison. Um, the second lesson that you wrote about was uh, was general and special educators are better together. Right. Um, and I'm going to read a little snippet of what you wrote there okay. that really s stuck out for me. You wrote, for the most part, the only time my students were included in the general education classroom was during music, physical education, or art classes. Even, even that was not always the case. I remember thinking, when I started as a special education teacher, that this exclusion was wrong, but I struggled to get my students more included. It wasn't because my colleagues didn't want what was best for my students. Instead, it was that many of my colleagues thought that my students were better off with me all day in a segregated setting, the way it had always been done. Parker was one of the first students that made me want to fight that mentality, but I knew I couldn't do it alone. Thank goodness for Mrs. Savage. Savage. <laughs> what changed for Parker once you and Ms. Savage began working together? Well, I think the biggest change is that when Ms. Savage and I began to collaborate together, we started finding ways for Parker to become more and more involved in her general education classroom. And I think what that meant for Parker was... Um, an increase in the expectations and an increase in his independence. I think in the self-contained classroom, even though I wasn't doing it intentionally and I was trying to, as best I could, to get him as much access as possible to the general education curriculum on his grade level, I think with um, in the segregated setting, he was getting a lot more individualized one-on-one, -on -one, I would almost call it hand-holding in the special education classroom. And I don't think the expectations were as high 
as they were in the general education classroom. And I think when Ms. Savage and I started collaborating together, I was getting a better understanding of what that general education curriculum was. And uh, I was helping her get some ideas of how to make accommodations in that that were appropriate for Parker. Uh, but in the meantime, Parker was taking on some of that responsibility of meeting those expectations and doing it more independently than even if I'm really honest, maybe I thought that he could. Mm. And so I think he opened my eyes to what he was capable of doing when I gave him the opportunity to do it. That is really teaching the teacher all right. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, so did Parker become a member of Ms. Savage's class, he, his third grade class? He did, and it, it was a process that happened over time, and his parents were very involved in that transition. It's not something that happened overnight, uh, but you know, when Parker started with me in the third grade, he was almost 100% in a self-contained classroom, and by the time he left fifth grade, he was 100% in a general education classroom with some supports built into that, but he was absolutely 100% included and that was his classroom and that's where he hung his backpack. Whereas when he started in the third grade, he hung his backpack in a special education classroom. Well, that is a pretty dramatic shift in a short period of time. Right. Oh, and you mentioned that, that uh, Parker received some supports in the general ed classroom. Can you talk a little bit about that? Absolutely. So... I mean, a couple of the things that were happening, one, it's not like we just put him in there and said, okay, good luck, like sink or swim. It was really during that entire time, I continued to work with his general education teachers on what sorts of accommodations were best for Parker if he, um, I mean, some days were harder for Parker than others, and if he was having a rough day, like, how could I help support that teacher? What are some things, like, let's look at what was going on. What were some of the antecedents to this? Uh, what could we go differently? So just continuing to collaborate with that teacher. It wasn't just he was in my class one day and in a different class the other day. Like, even though he was no longer self-contained in my classroom, I feel like I continued to have a relationship with his related service providers and his general education teacher to help support them and make sure that he was getting all the support that he needed in the classroom. So you really are proving the point that general and special ed are better together. Right. Thank you, Parker, for helping us learn these important lessons. Um, the third lesson that you wrote about, Allison, was about the power of peers. And yeah, that's a, that's a really valuable topic to talk about. And um, you mentioned that when Parker joined the classroom in your blog post that some of his peers had a hard time accepting him. In fact, you wrote that he made funny noises, flapped his hands in a way they didn't quite understand because students like Parker had always been kept in self-contained classrooms down the hall. Over time, though, the students discovered that Parker was really funny and fun to be around. Once they got the opportunity to know him, they found out he wasn't so different after all. Right. Um, did, were there any specific strategies that you used to promote authentic peer-to-peer -peer relationships? Were you intentional about this, or did you just sort of yeah. let things unfold and the kids figure it out? How did right. I feel like I have to give Ms. Savage some credit for this one because I think she played a really large role in helping with this transition. I do think it's important to note that when he first started participating in the general education classroom, there was a lot of um, 
lack of understanding from some of the other students, and I think that was because he had always been so segregated and hadn't really participated with those students that um, there wasn't a lot of awareness about what some of his needs were and some of the sounds and sensory needs that he had around that. And so Ms. Savage really played a role in helping uh, teach her students about um, respectful behavior, like empathy, compassion, and how students could work together. I think that she she did a lot of team building within her classroom with Parker and with all of the students in her classroom of learning how to work together and how to really understand that all students have lots of different needs. And so I give her credit for that, but I think that she was very intentional about that. So it sounds like... Um it sounds like Parker, there were, he made a lot of gains. There were some great advantages for, for Parker to be in the general education classroom in terms of his own learning. But it sounds like there's also some huge advantages for the rest of the class. What do you think? Absolutely. Can you talk about that? Absolutely. I feel, um, you know, although it didn't happen overnight, over time, he developed genuine friendships with those students that lasted over time, and I think that those students benefited from that as much as he did. It wasn't a one-sided friendship. I think he um, really developed authentic relationships with the peers in his class that those students would have missed out on if he didn't have that opportunity. Hmm. Hmm. So, wow, the power of peers, both right. for Parker and for the rest of the, the for the class as a whole. It's and I would just add, I think it's important to note there, I think uh, one thing that I did to help support that is uh, I did have a paraprofessional that was helping to support Parker's needs and other students in my classroom's needs. And as we were making this transition, the paraprofessional was spending some time in that general education classroom. And I was very strategic about having conversations with the paraprofessional and with the general education teacher about how we were going to utilize her and really specific about not wanting her to be a one-on-one -on -one aide just for Parker. And I did that because I wanted him developing appropriate peer relationships. I didn't want him working in a small group and it being him and the paraprofessional. I wanted him working in groups with his peers. And I think that that's important to note. But I also wanted that paraprofessional to be a support for the general education teacher in her classroom. And so the paraprofessional was helping with small groups of other students. The paraprofessional was helping uh, with when the general education teacher was doing whole group instruction. She wasn't there just for Parker, but I think by helping the whole class, she was helping Parker. So I think that that's important to mention here because I think that that helped him form those appropriate peer relationships in a way that if she was just working with him, maybe he wouldn't have been able to. Allison, you are giving me such a great picture of what that classroom looks like, and I just feel like I'm smiling inside, <laughs> seeing all these kids working together um, and the paraprofessional kind of rotating around, supporting everyone. Um, and then uh, you had some pretty powerful insights in your, in your lesson number four where you talked about um, after Parker leaving the elementary school, you still maintained a relationship with him in that he, you and he emailed one another, you shared um, common interests, and you talked about uh, 
some of the passions that he discovered while participating in general education. So one one of the statements you wrote about, you said, I couldn't help but wonder if Parker's life would have followed a different trajectory if he had never been included in Mrs. Savage's third grade class. I wondered if he would have been given the opportunity to display his gift for acting, if he had continued to be segregated in his self-contained classrooms and denied opportunities to participate in extracurricular activities with his peers. And you went to one of his school plays. And, right. Um, and you wrote about how fabulous he was in his school play, but, but at the end of the play when he was asked what he was, um, what the best part of the night was, he said it was that you were there and you were proud of him. And, you know, (laughs) I read that part in the blog and I actually, I just, I got all teary because it was sort of an emotional, emotional moment to read about. And I think you really articulated the importance of the, um, of teachers really developing deep, meaningful relationships with students and letting them know how much that they care about them. Right. It still chokes me up a little bit when I read that and when I remember that night because I think it's a great example of I had no idea that it meant that much to him. I uh, I thought, oh, I'm just going to go see him in this play. I had no idea that he would even care that I was there. And so for him to say that this night when he was on cloud nine because he did a great job and he's getting a, you know, a lot of attention from everybody. And there were so many people there to see him and the other students in the play. And it was a great play, uh, for him to say that the best part of that night was that I was proud of him. It really took me back because it just kind of showed me the importance that teachers can play and that that very small gesture meant a lot to him. And I think on the flip side of that, sometimes teachers do what maybe they think is a small thing and it can have a negative effect on students. And so I just think it's so important, the relationships that we develop with our students and sometimes those are more powerful than any of the other lessons that we teach and have the bigger lifelong effects. And I think, you know, Parker's a shining example. And what that night really showed for me when I say I wonder if he would have ever had that opportunity if he was still in a self-contained classroom. And I really question that, just knowing what I know about my students who are in that self-contained classroom not always participating in the extracurricular activities or even knowing when the extracurricular things were going on because we didn't get the same level of communication or um, the same invites to participate in things like school plays or uh, to get really involved in the theater and things like that. I think that because he was included, he had opportunities and access to things that maybe he wouldn't have otherwise. And once he had those opportunities and access, just like in the third grade when he proved to me that I could have had higher expectations for him than I did, you know, when he had the opportunity to participate in the school theater, he really blew us all away with what he was capable of doing and so yeah, I think it, I think it is a powerful reminder for us of how much influence we have, but also how important it is to really provide access to opportunities and experiences to all students, and not to make presumptions about what they can and can't do. Oh, thank you, Allison. Um, you really are a leader in this field, and as somebody who has witnessed the power of inclusion, do you have any advice for? educators who are out there in the schools today working to transform their systems so that 
all really means all? I think my number one piece of advice is collaboration. You don't have to do it yourself, whether you're a general educator, a special educator, a parent, a related service provider. Work together with that team because together you have more power. And when I say that team, I mean the student as well. Because if anybody taught me the best way to teach Parker, it was Parker. Ultimately, <laughs> like Parker's mom and parents helped a lot and gave me a lot of tips and strategies. But it's really when I started including Parker in those conversations and getting his feedback on how to best engage him that was the most successful of anything. And so I think the more that you collaborate with the student, with the family members, with all of the educators involved, and with community members who are involved with that student, uh, the better the opportunities that you are and the easier it is to provide the supports that that student needs. Um, and lastly, are there any really great resources you'd like to promote on behalf of the SWIFT Center? to support educators and family members along this journey? One resource that I would highly recommend is the SWIFT Field Guide, which you can access at guide.swiftschools.org. So I think as a teacher, this would have been very helpful for me because it takes each of the features of the SWIFT framework, uh, which we know are the ways to um, successfully and efficiently and effectively get inclusive education. And it provides some specific resources and specific action steps that you can take uh, related to that feature. Great. All right. Well, if you want to know the full story of teaching the teacher and Allison's own transformation as an educational leader, just go to swiftschools.org and click on Swift Talk, where you can find lots more stories written by leaders in the field of school-wide transformation. SWIFT is a national K-8 technical assistance center that builds school capacity to provide academic and behavioral support to improve outcomes for all students. Again, that website that Allison mentioned to get you to the SWIFT field guide to support your efforts is guide.swiftschools.org. Got that? <laughs> guide.swiftschools.org. So thank you very much for listening. And if you uh, have any feedback for us, we'd love to hear it. Like us on social media. Go to our website. Sign up for our newsletter. Uh, check us out uh, as many ways as you can. We've got a YouTube channel with lots of cool videos. What else, Allison? We're full of resources. <laughs> the, list the list goes on. So thanks a lot for listening.